saying everybody is held to these deliverables. Um, me too, although a morphology that would be applicable to Larry and, and likely not too many others, but just remember this because my goal for you would be that one day you would be in a kind of multi-site environment and you would need to make this paradigm shift. Okay, listen to this. I was a church of, I think it was 900 people before I hired my associate pastor. That was crazy. So I met with a consultant. He's going over my leadership structure, right? He goes, well, where's your executive pastor or your associate pastor? I said, well, I don't have one yet. He goes, what, are you stupid? <laughs> and I realized that was part of what was wrong. I didn't have somebody organizing. I'm a vision guy. So anyway, so that was when I hired Robert, really, my executive pastor. So then, okay, about a year ago, actually not even a year, about eight months ago, what I realized again in a multi-site world, okay, so I have about 2,000 people that meet on my campus. Well, Robert's the executive pastor of all of Newbreak. He could no longer be the executive pastor of my campus. His, his role was too large. He couldn't do both. Now, we, we saw this. We didn't see it coming. We saw it like when it was a mess. So about six months ago, I realized I needed to hire a campus pastor for my campus who would be the organizer and the leader of my campus, meet with all my staff of my campus and like, you know, hold them accountable to their deliverables. So this was a paradigm shift for me. Uh, I just want to throw that out there just because that could be a thing for you. Uh, one young gentleman I was just talking, yeah, it was you. Tell me your name again. Rob. Uh, so, so really, Rob is facing the same issue at 95. It's just that he can't pay to... Um, uh, would you mind going and shutting that door just so they can talk and we don't... Um, Rob faces the same issue. He's doing too much. And you're his wife, yeah? Yeah, you're both doing too much. Okay, which is good, but bad. So now you've grown to 100 people roughly, which is amazing, in like six months, five months. That's like crazy. These guys are super effective. But they're at a ceiling because they can't do it. They're leading everything kind of like right now. Okay, so they've got to recruit, equip, and release. So they have to stop doing it, start equipping it faster. And by the way, okay, listen, this is super important for you guys. Let us be. Let the baby Christians, let us be. We can aspire to a lot of things. You've got to believe in us. We're messy, okay? I'm, remember, I became a Christ follower at uh, roughly 20, okay? Super messy. Had the daughter, you know, whatever, okay? Messy. But I began doing stuff right away. Messy, but I, I you know, I, it, the Lord worked it out, <laughs> So you've got to believe in them, believe in the Spirit of God in them, then recruit them, equip them, and release them. So it's true whether you're 95 or 3,000, it's the same thing. Now, in a 3,000-people church, obviously it's a staffing issue. These are different, different, but at some level it's not. And be careful of staffing, be careful of staffing something as you grow when you could get volunteers to do it. I know this gets complicated, and there's certain pain points that you cross, and then you've got to staff it. 
But don't forget your ecclesiology. It's a universal priesthood of believers. This is the thing that started the Protestant Reformation. This is why Martin Luther nailed all those little theses on that wall. So he believed in the universal priesthood of all believers. Don't become Catholic. Let us alone. As soon as I get saved, honestly, we allow non-saved, we allow non-saved people to do certain things in Newbury. And you have to, you know, figure that out theologically. I'm just saying that's how we do it. We, allow, we don't let them lead worship and stuff like that. But some of my friends do. Some of my friends let people be on the worship, not lead, but like be a drummer before they're saved. I don't, but I don't have any problem if you do. I'm just saying that's where we've drawn that line. But certainly we let them do outreaches. Non-saved people are super good at outreaches. You know, their friends are all not saved. This big sheet that's a fold-out is just a thing that's really cool that Robert uses, and it's kind of take a long time to do it with you, and I'm not going to bother. Um, but it's, of course. Yes. Missions reflected on here. Yeah, that, that's because we're one fund. We do tithes and offerings, one budget, one fund. Uh, it's tithes and offerings. Tithes goes to build the local church uh, here and around the world. Uh, missions goes to build the rest of the kingdom of God around the world. So in New Break, we, we went to the one fund idea. And this is, again, a whole subject for another time. But that guy, Jim Shepard with Generis, could talk to you about that. Or I could talk to you offline about it. But we went to one fund last year because we had too many funds. And it was very, very confusing to the sheep. It takes a very sophisticated believer who's like all up in your business to figure out how you do it. So pretty soon they're given to this fund and that fund and whatever fund. And you have all these designated funds and it becomes complicated on an accountant level. Um, You know, we get audited by a real CPA firm every year now. So anyway, so we do it one fund. Uh, By the way, once we went to the one fund concept, our, our offerings have grown 38%. Now, that's not just because we went to one fund. It's because we developed a system of giving and generosity. Okay? Uh, I can. <laughs> I'm just trying to... Okay, one fund is like you have one fund. Um, you give everything, like you teach the... Here's how we take our offerings every... Uh, receive our offerings every weekend. Yeah, I no longer take offerings. That was another thing I realized I was saying. Okay, we're going to take the offering now. Now think about an unchurched person. You're going to take the offering? Really? Are you going to send people out here to get it or what? And then I do. <laughs> we call them ushers. <laughs> so, so obviously I'm not perfect at this language yet. But okay, so we, we say to our, our people on a regular basis, it's now time to return the tithe, our offering 10% of our gross income to the Lord to build the local church and to give offerings above that to be generous and to shake the planet. And so a lot of people over the last year and a half have become not 10% tithers, but, you know, 11, 12, 13, whatever percent. And so they can designate this is offerings and this is tithes, but it all goes into one fund. It's no longer two separate funds. It's one budget because we give way more to uh, shaking the planet than we do, you know, like just spending on our own church kind of thing. So anyway, that's just the way we do it. We no longer have two funds. We just have one fund, and everything flows out of the one fund, yes? It doesn't, I suppose. I'm a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Robert does all this stuff, but 
It doesn't, I suppose. I don't know. By central fund, you mean like one, one general fund. We just don't have like a building fund, a missions fund, a benevolence. We used to have all these things. We, have to, we used to have benevolence fund, missions fund. Oh, my gosh. People would give, and it's totally illegal, by the way. People would give uh, money to us, earmarked, to buy uh, an LCD projector for $25,000 know that that's illegal. I didn't know that either. I'm just saying, as a nonprofit, you're not allowed to do that. You as the leadership community, and you have to be super careful of this. A lot of churches get, get in trouble for this. You can, as a leadership community, choose to, independent of the influence of that donor, buy a LCD projector. But that's very great. I'm just saying. That's just, we, we've just done it. The one fund, that's how we, how we do it. So, so, like, we just take tithes and offerings. And we decide, as a leadership community, how many missionaries we're going to support. Uh, and we support, like, a lot of different things. We have, like, 80, I want to say 85 missionaries that we support, something like that. But then we have all these other missional endeavors. Like, we, we support an orphanage in Tijuana. Uh, we support this house for uh, prostitutes that have gotten out of the lifestyle. We do a lot of things. We, do, we align ourselves with other communities partnering. We, we partner is our word. Yeah, Vic? Oh, that's a different question. No, we don't. We, we, um, we keep it. We're one budget, multiple locations. One elder body, one board, uh, multiple locations. One vision, multiple locations. One staff, multiple locations. We're literally one church meeting in multiple locations. That's a little bit, depends on your style and how you want to do it. Uh, look, let's, let's move down this list. Like, how, we develop strategic partners. Um, so in our SoCal network, we're helping with all kinds. Like, we're giving monies to help plant a church in L.A., basically. Uh, our network council is coming up in May, I think. And so we're giving a bunch of money to do that. Um, we help support multi-site networks, um, just different networks that we kind of get a burden for. And this is how we, we just develop partnerships. It's really about networking with other missional environments to help the kingdom of God grow. And what you give, you'll get back more than you think. So we believe that in that biblical principle that if we sow it, we'll reap it. Uh, this works, by the way, from a staffing perspective. Like, like if you become known... Yeah, Larry knows this, I'm sure. Like, if you become known as this generous church that's, like, the ethos of it is fun, if I could put it to work at, like, like, wow, that's amazing. Well, in time, kind of everybody wants to work with you. So what happens is at your stage of the game, you just keep building networks. General, it doesn't always have to involve money, just helping, 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 whatever. Over time, you'll have this amazing vineyard that uh, you don't even know how you exactly got there, except you just kept giving. Um, then, uh, then uh, okay, we have all of our MOUs. Uh, in you guys' Appendix 4, these are, now these are on the national website with Steve. Steve Pike and us, we basically developed all these together um, uh, and these are the five different kinds of MOUs we have. All right? Do you see where I'm at under, under Appendix 5? Yeah. Or is it 4? 
Oh, it is four. I'm sorry. Thank you, Trevor. Trevor? Travis. Travis. Thank you, Travis. Um, so the MOU, number one, is just mentoring, and uh, you kind of have that on the next page. Uh, the MOU planting pack is there on uh, number two. It's got green on the top of it. Then three is return to GC pack. So, uh, so the first one is just you guys agreeing with another pastor. You're just going to mentor them. But they agree to it. Like they write it down. You, you agree to it. A memorandum, this MOU stands for Memorandum of Understanding. It's like a ministry description. So if you're going to mentor somebody, you agree, they're going to be a part of your parent. PAC stands for Parent Affiliated Church. Vic, are you guys familiar with this language? Okay, okay. So a PAC, a Parent Affiliated Church. So in a way, you're sort of adopting another pastor. But it's just mentoring. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is a plant where you're, you're, you know, you're helping plant a church. Um, there's a separate MOU for that. Uh, and that's number two. It's the one in green. Then there's the return to a general council pack. Uh, that's number three. What color is that one? Purplish, kind of. Parallel and affiliation for general council memorandum of understanding. So that's where I would adopt a campus. Now, I've never done this, but these are all different ways of doing it. This is one where I would adopt you, let's say. Let's say I adopt you because you're 100 people, you're struggling, so I adopt you. Now, you're going to come in to my, and the, the MOU articulates this relationship. So you're going to come in for a period of time. There'll be certain agreed-upon deliverables and so forth. But the intention on the front end at the agreement is that I'm going to release you to be a general council church or whatever you call them here. We call them uh, network, affiliated, and then I guess it is still general council. So that's that third one, Okay. Like where you adopt somebody to inject time, energy, and resources into. They come to your staff and do different things with you. And then, but your intention is to release them like after a year or two or whatever. Okay, that's the third one. And I'm not going to go through all these. These are just for you. And you can steal all these, Vic. You can, these are Steve's though. I mean, these are ours. We kind of created them actually. And we gave permission to Steve to steal them. They're now on the general whatever website of the world. And then, but we have them on our network website. And then I use them all the time. Then the fourth one is a merge. A merge is like, I've never done that one either. A merge is where, <clears throat> you know, it's a little bit different from how we've done it. So that's like two churches maybe of more similar size that just merge, become one church. Those are complicated, obviously. You've perhaps read books on this subject. Um, but... There's an MOU that articulates that. Mine is all number five. IMF, number five, uh, uh, pack in perpetuity, parent-affiliated churches in perpetuity. Now, I've planted, my first campus was a plant. My second campus was, they came to me, kind of like Larry. Okay, they came to me. There was this little church out in Santee. 13 people left. Pastor resigned named Brad. Did a great job, but, you know, it was done. And 13 people uh, I think it was either Ray Rachels or Rich. One of those guys called me and said, Mike, uh, actually, I think it was Jack Sampier, my presbyter. He called me and he said, hey, this church, the pastor resigned and everything. I said, can I have it? And Jack said, I, yeah, you should take it. So then I, I think I called Ray Rachels. And I said, Ray, this church is, you know, it's dead. <laughs> like, I don't have any other solution. How about I just take it? 
And he goes, okay. So, so we had used the language adopt it. I used to use the language seize. Never use that language. So we adopted it. Now, the way we have done it in that case, and another one I'll tell you about in a minute, we closed it down because the little group was fairly dysfunctional. So we closed it down, and we said, we need to close it down and not have services there for about six months to remodel it. That's a great, don't forget this, what I'm just saying right now. We're going to close it down in order to remodel it. And then in about six months, we're going to launch a campus back in there, and there'll be like 100 people when we do it. Every single one of them, because they've been pastored well. Every single one of them said, okay. They all came to Tierra Santa campus. We pumped about $300,000 into that facility. And then about six or eight months later, we launched it. That's a video venue, by the way. So we launched that campus with about 100 people. Some of those 13 never went back because they like it back in Tierra Santa. The other six were awesome, and they're part of that church now. So we adopted it, kind of killed it. I guess that language doesn't work all, the, all that good there. But, but then birthed it again. So it's kind of like a church plant, sort of. Okay, then this young man in East County called El Cajon, he's, if you ever go to my website, uh, he's the guy, he's a big, tall dude, bald head, big goatee like this, plugs in his ears and tats all over him. I knew him since he was a kid. I knew his dad. I knew the church. He was dying. He had about 40 people, but he was on the way down and the way out. Hadn't been paid in three months. So Rich Garrett called me and said, Mike, Eric's in trouble. Will you adopt him? I said, yes. So I took Eric to lunch. Me and Robert and Eric. Brought Eric to the lunch. I said, Eric, we want to adopt you. He's like, really? I said, yes. I said to Eric, I said, you know I love you, right? By the way, this is before MOUs were developed. So it was all verbal. So I told Eric, I said, here's how it works. Your elder body has to resign. They have to give up their mantle to be official. They can still eld. It's not going to be on the board. Your board ceases to exist. You become us. We don't become you. We adopt you. You're coming into our family. And I believe in you, Eric. I believe in you with all my heart. But I also have a mission. And I'll hold you accountable to that mission. I believe in you. I believe that I won't have to fire you, but I promise I will. When? Not for a long time. I will, I'm not going to fire you. I'm just telling I've got to be straight up with you. You're going to become my employee. Now, I'm, I do not believe I'm making a wrong hire here. I believe in you. Eric's the one campus in my statistics that's broken the 400 barrier today. That's Eric. And he's a live campus. We started out as video with him, but Eric's got mad skills. He was the surprise. He's my surprise child. You know how when you're old and you have a surprise child? He's my surprise child. Then Steve Bambachi was in PB. He had a church of about 150 at the time, was really struggling with a 200 barrier and just running solo, just trying to do it on his own. He came to us and he asked us if we would adopt him. So we did. Now the difference of those two, Eric's was like adopting a two or three-year-old, quick to adapt, 
quick to, like adopting, right? If you ever have friends adopted or if you've adopted, you know how it is. If they're young, it's kind of easy. Like they don't know a lot. So, you know, they'll come in, they learn manners of your home, customs and everything, quick adapters, everything. Steve, he's like adopting a 14-year-old. Slow to adapt. (laughs) So, but the MOU, which is a pack in perpetuity, means you're always going to be one church, multiple locations. That's how I do it. Now, I'm not going to always do it that way. We're actually thinking of developing another whole layer, which is the third one, um, uh, which allows them to return to a general uh, council church. It's just that there's an economic issue there uh, that you've got to pay attention to and, and not minimize. Um, and I just want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to minimize that with you guys, so I don't want to belittle it. Uh, is there any questions you have about any of that? Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, if you have to, uh, if, now it needs to be a condition of taking it. This is where you have to work closely with Vic, because you have to have each other's back, because you know how that goes. You'll become Satan. You're that mean, big church pastor who's gobbling. This is, this is a bit my problem right now. I have in SoCal District, behind my back, I'm called Monopoly Mike a little bit. So, you know, but it comes with the territory. I mean, if you're going to make changes and you're going to see the kingdom of God grow, guess what? It doesn't matter if it's your church or your adopting churches. Somebody's going to stab you in the back. But it's okay. You know, I've, I'm a big boy. I've been to lots of therapy to learn not to internalize your dysfunction. <laughs> I read the book Boundaries a long, long time ago. Then I memorized the book Boundaries. Yes. 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 Well, uh, in his case, for example, if I were adopting him under the uh, expectation that, say, three years from now he's going to go away, you know, be general counsel, uh, then I would just develop him into that role and develop his leadership structure and his economics and everything into that. Yes, he would grow this now prior to the launch. Uh, There it becomes like the third MOU, kind of like, the second one, I believe it is, the pl- pure plant. You kind of have to kind of simultaneously, because as he gets ready, first of all, he's got to come into you, and then, you know, because you're the parent, he comes into your family, if you will, and learns the system of a healthy family. What's it look like? How do I do board meetings? How do... So he's kind of like interning almost with you. How do you lead sermon teams? How do you lead children's ministry at the next level? Whatever. You know, there's all the stuff. So, so then he learns it all. So you have to give it all away, give it all away. Now, my point here, though, is there is a, there's an economic, there's an actual dollar sign ascribed or attributed to this. So in our world, their church has to pay the mother back uh, to some extent. Depends on how you scale it. Now, I have friends doing all everything. Okay, so I have friends that totally do this. Like one of my friends, John Johnson, he's a hero of mine. He's an amazing guy. Okay, John Johnson, he does it with, he doesn't care about the money. So he's built kind of into his budgetary capacity to handle pretty significant red numbers only to give it away. Now he's had to shrink other arenas of giving to do it because he feels called to it. So it just sort of depends. There's lots of ways to skin this cat, but I just want to caution you with regard to the economics of things. There's money associated with this. And remember, as the 
pastors of your campuses, your primary responsibility is to your campus and the stewardship of those funds because your people give to your vision. So you have to clearly articulate these things. Otherwise, like I'm, I'm gone a lot right now. My church has sort of released me to help churches. So I'm gone a lot right now, but my staff are buying. They're, they're whining. Like right now, my staff are whining because I'm here. So I know when I get back tomorrow, that's why I'm flying back tomorrow. At 8.45, I'm on a plane. I'll be in a meeting tomorrow at 1.30 in my office. But I'm just saying, my sheep, they can, bah, you know, they're sheep. <laughs> so, so you have to be careful. But having said that, I believe that we need to train our sheep to quit being so spoiled and rotten and get over it and do their ministry that they're called to and whatever, and that they need to see that your role is larger than to your one church. Look, we, we have to get larger than this. We have to help each other. So it's, it's, but you have to be careful with it is what I'm saying. No, I know, I know. And they got, they, they're messed up on this, I must say. Uh, like, for example, New Break. <laughs> what was it? I think it was we went from, like, being number 40, I want to say 45 on the 100 biggest churches in America to being, like, I don't know, in the top, bottom 90 or something. Because they're messed up on their numbers. They're, they're, there's a glitch in their ACMR structure. Uh, so, you know, I, you'll have to ask. You know, Vic can ask George and... Steve Pike. They're messed up right now. I don't know how to fix it. I'm going to a meeting next month. I should go talk to... I should, I'm going to tell Steve because I was like... I have had people coming up to me. They thought, what happened to Newbreak? Did it split or something? You know, I'm like, no, they just can't count. <laughs> so I'm not sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eric is a voracious thief. Um, in every good sense of the term. So in, in New Break World, because we're one budget, multiple locations, I want them to steal anybody they can from me. You can take my biggest givers as long as you pastor them well. Don't take one of my leaders and then have him backslide on your watch, you know, unless you can explain that to me. I, I'm just saying, if it's one budget, one church, multiple locations, you can steal anybody from me. So Eric got that better than anybody. See, I have a Saturday night service. So you, so Eric, he made it his mission. As soon as I, it's like, look at Steve and Eric. Okay, Steve, he's busy, you know, because he's older and he's doing his thing, right? And part of this is, you know, is this the uniqueness of Steve? Part of my goal with Steve's mentoring, okay? But like Eric, he jumped all over it, man. He came to my campus Every Saturday night, he subbed for me as much as I would let him. He stole everybody he could from me as fast as he could. He crashed through 100 like that. And then he's a voracious learner. So he steals everything from me. Anytime he can get close to me, he gets close to me. And, you know, I'm busy. So he's a, he'll, like, if he finds out I'm going up to the network office, you know, uh, and I'm going by myself, which, you know, I'm commonly working on the phone all the way up there, but if he can hijack, all of a sudden, my appointment, all of a sudden, Eric's in my travel appointment. So he just steals everything. He's a, like a sponge. He's a wonderful guy. 
you would never think that we would be that close either. Like, he totally, he's like, he's got a goatee down to here. He's got big old plugs. He's shaved head. He's a huge dude. But he's just a voracious learner like that. And really, I believe in, you know, some, so part of it's gifting. Part of it is uh, his ability to learn faster than anybody else. He's super creative. And he's way savvy on technology. This, by the way, is a huge issue for those of us who are older. How old are you? 43. So I'm 59. Are you good with IT stuff? Like, are you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? Okay. So Eric has converted me. I'm, I'm huge on Facebook. I have, like, I don't know, 3,500 friends. And I'm my best friends on Facebook. I've even gotten onto Instagram. I love Instagram, actually, because I'm more graphical. I like pictures and stuff. So I'm on Instagram. Now I'm on Twitter. So I'm starting to go that direction. Eric's huge in social media. Social media is your friend. You need to learn how to be involved in social media. There's no way around it, ladies and gentlemen, from a sheer marketing standpoint. It is honestly not all about social media, but a lot of it is about social media. Going live on the moment, on the fly, having people tweet something you just said from the platform, uh, having people take pictures and hashtagging them and, and all that stuff. You know, social media is your friend. I know it's scary. That's why you need young people around you. Young people, they'll love you. Get a 15-year-old, like, just this guy. He has nothing to do, man. Get, bring him into your world. Tell him, ask him, hey, teach me how to do this stuff. I don't know how to do it. They will. Um, uh, I, there is a question you asked, how are finances handled? Um, each campus pastor separate and, or on its own? Central treasury system, there was your question. Uh, as a parent church. Again, we're one budget, multiple locations. Frank Wooden, a good friend of mine, he does it totally different. They're totally separate, but they're involved and engaged in, in that M- other MOU structure on a financial level. Uh, so that's how they do it. Um, we have centralized costs. Robert, my executive pastor, he's figured out what's our centralized cost and then what is it per person. So he, you know, fairly with a click of a button, if I could put it, he can tell you as a campus pastor on a weekly basis, certainly, how red or black you are and uh, like, you know, like, like, you know, we've, we have a, a formula that we use for centralized costs that's uh, amortized, whatever you would call that, across to everybody. So everybody shares, like, for example, everybody shares a part of my salary that's in the centralized budget. Everybody shares a part of Robert's salary that's in the centralized budget. Everybody blah, 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 right? Like graphics. Like, we have one multimedia department. There's a several, I don't know how many staff are in there, but there's a whole bunch of people in there. I have several videographers and whatever in this team. Well, that's, the cost of that is everywhere. Um, a part of my children's pastor, we call it global, Colleen. She's the global children's pastor. So a part of her salary, uh, if not the preponderance of it at this point, is spread out to all the campuses, including Tierra Santa. Because, see, she oversees children's ministry everywhere. She spends all of her time pastoring the pastors and directors and all those people. She doesn't recruit hardly anymore. To, you know, like people, like regular people. She doesn't recruit them. They recruit them. Any other questions about that?
Again, this is an economic issue. You can't avoid it. We ran smack into the face of it about a year and a half ago. I had to lay off 12% of my staff, cut everybody's salary by 10%. I took the biggest cut. I took about a 22% pay cut a year and a half ago. Before we launched the Planet Shakers series, before I adopted all the best practices, it caused a crisis. I came back from a sabbatical having been sent by my church after 25 years in the ministry in one place only to have a crisis called economics because I wasn't paying enough attention to it. So what I'm telling you right now comes with blood, sweat, and tears. I'm just saying you cannot put your business hat off on the table and forget about it. You must be a steward of the resources God's given you, and you've got to pay attention to it because multi-sites are complicated. When I, Larry Osborne, the pastor of North Coast Church, he taught me this. I was in a, a very small seminar with him. Larry said to me, Mike, when you plant your first campus, it's going to be twice as complicated. You can do it super sloppy, whatever, blah, 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 because you're a legend. <laughs> he said, but when you plant your third campus, it's not going to be twice as complicated. It's going to be five times more complicated. When you plant the next one, it's going to be like six times more complicated. And then you're going to have to develop the infrastructural systems. When he told me this, I thought inside, oh, what does this old dude know? It can't be that complicated. And then I ran into it two years ago. Now, we've corrected it because of our whole generosity. This is, again, this company, Generis. But if you want to uh, talk to me at another time, well, I could tell you, and I, I would need to have it on paper because there's just a lot of things we do to develop generosity in New Break. Um, Larry, to you, that would be the key thing, though, is those giving moment videos. Those are awesome. Oh, by the way, one fund... So giving moment videos is what you do on this campus with children's ministry and what you do with Latin America child care in Costa Rica. They're the same thing. So when I give, I give because we're shaking the planet, in our words, we're shaking the planet in Tiersana, let's say, and in Costa Rica and in Thailand. And I'm telling you, vision, people give to vision. If they know their giving matters, oh, pastor, please tell me my giving matters. Show me how it matters here in our church. In fact, quite frankly, in the millennials, they're really, really, you have to work on them to be globally conscious. Millennials are like in the churches, I'm just saying, not in general, but millennials in church world, you have to convince them that it's okay to give their money they're giving to Africa. <laughs> they have a little bit of a hard time with that one. <laughs> My generation was way better at that. This is why global missions is tanking. Uh, the new guys having trouble with it. Yes, we bonus and stuff. We have, a, we have a bonus system in play for, we're still working on that. Um, one of my guys is a vice president for a major corporation. He knows a tremendous amount about bonuses and stuff and the good and the bad of bonuses. Because you have to be careful because people will perform to their bonus. So you have to be careful of divine, uh, designing bonus structures because you can manipulate the process. Like, like I'm not, I mean, not that Eric would manipulate this but Eric, the dude who broke the 400 barrier, I can see him in the process. Oh, okay. So if I get 500, then I get this much. Oh, <laughs> he's got four kids to feed. You know, I mean, you got to be careful with bonuses. But we do, you just can't link it exactly to the deliverables. That's what we've learned. And we're still figuring this out. As I figured out, though, we can talk and, and I'll share it. I'll share it. Okay. Yes.
the subject, but uh, you know, I'm reading this book, uh, Courageous by Choice, or Choose to be Courageous, or whatever it is, the latest Jim Collins book. He has these three pieces of, um, of uh, 10x leaders, and I'm a bit perplexed as you ask me that question, because the third thing is a sort of paranoia that I certainly operate in, where you're kind of constantly concerned about what isn't yet. See, so I, I always run a little bit paranoid that way. And so I've not tended to take sabbaticals when I ought to. I, that was the first one I ever took. So I would just say that we ought to all take them, but they have to be contextualized in our church context, right? Like you have a church of 100 people. You know, you have to plan it very strategically. Um, I'm trying to develop some type of sabbatical system not just for me and not just for my executive team, but for my campus pastors. What does it look like at Layers? Uh, like we did a national survey last year of what should pastors make money. Because I, I realized I was being radically underpaid. That was another thing. When I took the big cut in pay, I began doing research. What do pastors actually make? So I'm involved with this group leadership network. So I hired this consultant to tell me what I should make. So I was on that train, and then I thought, well, I shouldn't know what this I should make. I should know what everybody should make. So I said, I changed the design. I said, no, I don't want you to just tell me what I should make. I want you to tell me what all of my staff should make in San Diego County for a church my size with my budget. And I paid for that survey. Now, when the Lord blessed us financially, I literally had the money to adjust pretty much everybody's salary to where it should be. I did it last, this past January. Because I didn't feel like I should just be the one getting, you know, the, you know, it was a sick, trust me, I, I was like, I was this, like, I was like, and my, my leadership was not, they didn't have any issue with it. I had not led well. Remember, I've been, I'm the one who went to therapy. <laughs> okay? I had not led well because I felt kind of ashamed or whatever that word is for making money from the ministry. Get it? I had this thing in me. Vow of poverty. I was that guy. I read, you know, Howard, what is his name? Howard Snyder or something a long time ago. You know, he was a prophetic author about money and ministry and stuff. And I bought it, hook, line, and sinker, whatever. So, anyway... So I would encourage you to develop systems that are not just germane to you in your positions, but to your staff. And let your staff know. Believe me, I let all my staff know. I now have objective criteria by which I pay everybody. It was incredibly healthy as a church. And by the way, some of them were getting paid just fine. So they didn't get... Now I don't tell staff. We have a rule in New Break. You never discuss your staff with that. That's a fireable offense. They sign that on a contract when they come in. <laughs> you don't ever talk about your salary with this other guy. Don't, I don't want my campus pastors telling each other what their salaries are. But we, I'm just saying we have objective bases by which we determine these things. And that's very, very important. Uh, okay, how often do you baptize? <laughs> how do you handle this, jointly or separately? Uh, how often do you get all the congregations together for celebration services? Okay. Uh, we do everything in life groups. 
So I allow and empower and promote life groups baptizing their own people. So we decentralize baptisms. We try and capture it on video and pictures in their life group. Like take video of it on your iPhone and whatever and get it to us and then we'll build video product for it. So that's how we do it. Um, Then we also have an event once a year where we do a big baptism event. Okay? Where all of the Newbrake campuses get together to have a baptism event. Uh, Now, we show baptisms throughout the year. But I'm just saying one time a year we have a big event that we have called a baptism. We have a video on that, right? Oh, you two look a little bit alike. That's weird. From here. I'm sure not up close, but... (laughs) Anyway, uh, can we watch that? This is a video that we showed in Newbrake. So the first part of this massive event was called Feed the Need. Uh, This was a spectacular event. It meant so much to me because we brought everybody over to the coast. We brought all of the other campuses, and then we made really a big splash. We had a huge barbecue for everybody in the coastal area. People that were driving over the bridge could actually look over and see the smoke coming up from all the food that was being cooked, and we we fed hundreds of people. But uh, what really was impactful about it, as far as I was concerned, was the fact that we had all of the other campuses come over, and we all participated in this. Very quickly here, we're going to be opening up uh, Ocean Beach Campus, and uh, we're excited about that. And I thought this was a way of getting off to a great beginning and showing our love to all of the coastal area. Another big part of this day was reaching the streets of San Diego, and we thought, what better way to do that than to invite all of our campuses to get together, all of our friends and family that came down to the event, and everybody from the community that joined in to assemble 5,000 toiletry kits for the San Diego Rescue Mission. They are one of the premier ministries here in San Diego, and Herb Johnson, the CEO of the Rescue Mission, was with us that day as these kids are going to go directly to their program and reach the streets of San Diego. All of the thousands of people that are homeless in San Diego who will now be able to receive these kits, go through their one-year program, and graduate with uh, a job, a new place to stay, and a newfound faith in Jesus Christ. So thank you, New Break, for everything you did to make this happen. And so the last part of this is take the plunge, which is truly the most important part because this is this is the opportunity for, for people where they have made a confession of faith, they've come back to Christ to really show their friends and their neighbors and their family of them making this commitment, going and being baptized. Five campuses, soon to be six, all came together. Over 2,000 people. We baptized 152 people. I stop and wonder, what did it take to get them to this point? Was it a sermon? Was it, was it a friend? 
Was it a life group? What was it that got them to that part? But truly, it could have been all of that. This is just part of the journey, following after Christ, being baptized. So many people ask, why do we do such a big event like this? Why do we go down to Crown Point and we're out there in the community? We do it because even on that day, there was two girls that came up, asked about what it is. What are we doing? Who are we? And we got to sit down with them and share with them about not only what we do as Newbreak Church, but what God is doing in our lives and what God could do in their lives. And we got to pray with them. And then later on the day, another young gal came up and just was strolling down the boardwalk and wanted to know, what are we doing? And we shared with her and we prayed with her. And later on, she asked if she could be baptized, that she could take the plunge with so many other people. What a privilege as a campus pastor to be able to be in the water and be able to baptize not only people from Santee, but people that I didn't even know, that I know what God is doing in their lives, to be part of their story and then watch them go underwater and celebrate with them. Not what God has done, but what God is doing. This is how we shape the planet. This is how we change this community, this city, this world for Jesus. Instagram there. So that like lit up uh, Facebook and all those environments. <clears throat> so you noticed how we, uh, you know, brand, right? So that we're all one church. Notice I played a small role in the video product. Now we've strategically done this occasionally. The guy who played the key role is my video campus pastor. He is not a speaker, but he is a speaker. Video campus pastors still have to speak. They just, that's just, they're not doing the sermon. But Dwayne's a very competent speaker. I always get a little choked up when I watch that video. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to point out something in your appendix seven, I think. Wait, let's see. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's actually in the Appendix 1, the campus launch plan. One of your questions was, what are the most effective means of promoting a new church and getting the word out that we're here? If we have money to spend on promotion, where should we spend it? That's in your Appendix 1 under campus launch plan, new launch. I just, I just want to uh, reiterate uh, that, that it it's, it's really is a lot about social media these days. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
Um, the campus launch plan that we've developed is fairly inclusive uh, in terms of ideas. It now depends on the budget and how much you have to spend. Social media is your friend once again there because if you can get your people to all be on social media, all you know, putting things on their Facebook and, and including other people on their Facebook, it, it very quickly goes viral. If you have like 50 people Facebooking, like even just checking in, for example, uh, I'm at church, whatever it is now. Um, what happens is all their friends that are on their Facebook all know about it very quickly. Okay, so they're, I'm just going to grab a Kleenex. They're uh, very quickly and without any money at all, if you can train your people to uh, Facebook stuff and like check in on Facebook or Facebook a picture about an event you're having or something like that, it's a very, very powerful way of marketing that is, by the way, very powerful, not in my age group, although it's fairly, you know, Facebook's actually, you'd be surprised at how many grandparents are on Facebook, man. I mean, it's amazing. I love it. But I'm just saying, like your age group, it's viral. And the young, young, they're all about it. So they actually like it that you're doing it. But you have to empower the people to do it. So sometimes in a message, for example, we'll put like hashtag new break uh, on the screen you know, as a part of the slide or something, or, you know, tweetable moment or something, so that they're, they're actually thinking of doing it. Uh, train your ministry leaders to check in on Facebook that they're at church right now doing whatever they're doing. Train them to Facebook what they're doing. And if you teach them, it'd be a, it's kind of painful at first. First, you've got to know how to do it, okay? That's kind of was my pain point. <laughs> but then, then it's like this. And as you go along, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's super, it's obviously free, but it's very, very powerful. Like my, I have people, like my daughter-in-law has like 500 followers on Instagram. So there's a lot of power in that kind of stuff, all right? 